start recording. So hi, Shan. Welcome to hi, Ray. Welcome to the Founders Predicament podcast. And um, thank you very much for your time and joining me today. Uh, so I know that you're just winding down your your startup and um, I'm sure you have lots of emotions around that. But uh, let's go back before the startup, which was called uh, Just Ads, right? So before Just Ads, what were you doing before Just Ads? How did you get to that point? And what, you know, what, what led you to Just Ads? So I was one of these kids always that was really interested in computers and building stuff with it. Uh, but I decided to study business and management instead and uh, started my career as an account manager at an ad tech startup. Uh, that's where I learned how to work with uh, Google and Facebook marketing campaigns. Uh, but given that it was a tech startup, I was more interested in the, in the tech side of it. So I moved to product management first. Uh, but that startup wasn't going anywhere and got acquired by a bigger company and I, uh, and I left it to start a marketing consulting business because I realized that uh, if I wanted to be an entrepreneur, if I wanted to actually build software, I could start by just doing marketing consulting work, get some revenue going, and then just start hiring engineers to build prototypes. So that's what I did. I started doing marketing consulting and uh, I would just think of ideas and try to build prototypes uh, with as little expenditure as possible. Okay. Um, so, um, so you built software using what was this when you were, cause you're from Pakistan, right? Yeah. Where, where in Pakistan are you from? So I'm from Karachi. Karachi. So is that the biggest or the second biggest city in Pakistan? That's the biggest city. Yeah. And how many people are there? Well, nobody knows for sure, uh, but it's it's more than twenty million people. So it's big, like Mexico City yeah. size big. For sure, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty big and and chaotic. So you were building software in in Karachi. Uh, no, so I chose to uh, recruit engineers in Lahore instead, uh, which oh, must be the second biggest city in the country. Right. Uh, uh, partly because that's where. Uh, more of the startup scene was in Pakistan at the time, uh, but also because I just you know wanted to explore other parts of the country. Oh, I see. So use the you use recruiting people from a different city as a way of exploring that city. Yeah, actually, because you know I, I studied across different countries in Europe, and I saw that uh, within Europe, this inter uh, sort of inter Europe collaboration. Uh, uh, was was promoted and facilitated quite a lot, and I and I felt that uh, we don't do that as much in South Asia, even within countries. You know, if you're from Karachi, you just stick in Karachi. My family, for example, recommended that I just recruit engineers in Karachi instead, and I was like, I don't know, maybe this is maybe within a country, it's good to have some uh, cultural exchange as well uh, that I experienced during my undergrad years. Right. So. Um... What led you to Just Ads? What was, the, what was the problem? What were you solving? So I had worked at uh, this ad tech startup called Campania as an account manager. And even though it was a tech company working on something very fancy, you know, high frequency bidding, uh, using machine learning, 
what I realized was that it didn't work uh, if us account managers did not do the work on structuring and managing campaigns um, in the right way. And that was uh, a bit of an eye-opener for me because, uh, you know, from the outside, you think marketing is so advanced and so fancy with all this AI and machine learning being applied. But what I saw and experienced was that it's all run on spreadsheets. It's all manual uh, and very arbitrary. You have performance marketers creating campaign structures for different channels. Uh, and then you have spreadsheets where you store those structures. So if you have to do an A-B test or if you want to optimize your budgets across different campaigns, these processes are largely manual and very uh, time-consuming. That's what I that's that's what I saw that that you can't apply any intelligent machine learning learning based automation if you're not managing the campaigns in the right kind of way, uh, which was a completely manual, uh, uh, time consuming process. So, <clears throat> you were trying to save manual labor on the running of the campaigns. Yes. Uh, save time, but also to avoid costly errors and inefficiencies. Because of course, when you're when you're doing all that all, all that manually, yeah. uh, there is a greater chance of error, uh, and it leads to inefficiencies. You're you know overspending in one place and underspending in other places, and uh, it's hard to keep track of it all. So, if you're doing A/B testing, for example, right? If you're doing A/B testing, then you know that one's going to perform better than ultimately one will perform better than the other. And then you pick the one that does better. So that's like learning through failure. So was that the kind of thing you were trying to get rid of, or were you trying to get rid of something else? Uh, well, we were not trying to get rid of AB testing. Of course, we were trying to make the process for that a lot more seamless and automated. So uh, let me just give you a quick example, right? In a Google Ads account, you would have hundreds of campaigns, but sometimes thousands of ad groups. Within each ad group, you would have uh, multiple ads. Uh, if you wanted to test a different type of ad copy, you would need to then have all those ad groups in a spreadsheet uh, and then make some modifications, apply labels, and then upload it. And then, you know, create a spreadsheet with a pivot table so that seven days later you download the data and then you can see how different ads are performing. Uh, and then you, you know, if you have enough data uh, to make a decision on what's working better, you, you know, enable uh, that version and, and pause the other version. Uh, but in some cases, you wouldn't have enough data. Uh, with a lot of uh, uh, a lot of complexity there uh, right. that was handled manually uh, that just didn't make sense. It just seemed uh, uh, wholly inefficient, right. uh, especially knowing that we are moving towards a world where there would be more and more use of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Right. So where would it? You know, if things have gone, if things have gone well. Where would it? Where would you be now? If things had, you know, if the startup had succeeded, then where would you be now? 
Uh, do you mean as a founder or do you mean as a startup or, uh, or do sorry, you mean so, what the marketing landscape would look like if we succeeded yeah, at it, uh, transforming it? If you succeeded, it? how would you have changed the industry? Yeah, great question, right? So if we had succeeded, marketers would no longer have to spend dozens of hours on spreadsheets. Their job would be very clear. There would be one interface where you provide your creative assets uh, or descriptions for your creative assets if the creative assets are being generated by AI. So there's one place where you input the creative, uh, you decide what target audiences are relevant for you, you allocate your budgets and you select your KPI goals. You would just have one platform, one dashboard where you put all of it and the rest of the process uh, creating campaigns and ad groups and, and interfacing with each of the ad networks and their APIs, all of that would be in the back end automated. Right. So what went wrong? Great question again, right? So uh, uh, a lot of things, of course, you know, went wrong. This was uh, uh, Actually, uh, my set. Let me, let me stop you there. Sorry. <clears throat> what went right and then what went wrong? So so obviously, like when you started, you must have been full of hope and everybody, including the investors, were presumably, you know, banking on a, a, on a good outcome. So what went right and then what went wrong? Sorry. Sorry. To yeah. So that, no, no worries at all. So what went right was that we uh, secured customers uh, who were really interested in building this before we started off. So before we started building, we already had a couple of customers that were quite eager uh, and interested in what we were building. Uh, in fact, one like a couple of the people working at one of these companies uh, were our first angel investors. So we actually, before we started building, we convinced our customers to uh, uh, join us on this ride. Uh, that was an early win. Uh, then setting up an engineering team that could uh, build product, uh, uh, you know, at a significantly lower cost, especially in the early stages when, uh, you know, uh, there's chance for uh, a need to uh, change product direction early on or, or you know, uh, start from scratch. Sometimes you build a product and then you're like, maybe, you know, you think maybe you're not heading in the right direction. You you, you can you can start over. We, we set up a, you know, a good, I would say, operating structure uh where the uh which was quite cost effective um we also managed to build an early early version of the prototype uh that worked of course you know the scope of the product was quite big but we still managed to build the first version where you can actually do what i was describing where you could provide your creative assets you could provide your you know target audiences and and then, you know, provide your budget and actually launch and run campaigns uh, through this first version of the product. Uh, so those things went well. Uh, I think the primary thing that didn't go well and that I would consider a mistake uh, is that rather than continuing to bootstrap, uh, our focus shifted to trying to raise money. And uh, we, our thinking at the time was that uh, given the, given the, Given the scope of this challenge um, and the complexity of the marketing industry, you know, we thought we needed to raise capital. 
so we're sort of uh, uh, operating under that uh, assumption. And uh, that, uh, I think, was one of the mistakes we made. Sorry, let me ask you a little bit about that. So your burn rate was whatever. Would, would it have been possible? So with a different mindset, would it have been possible to have gotten past the hump and gotten to a sustainable business um, if you hadn't been looking for capital? Yeah, I think I think there was a there was a greater chance if we just focused on uh, on growing with customer revenue that would have uh, uh, given us a bigger chance of succeeding. So, if so, did you succeed in raising the capital that you looked for, or you didn't succeed in raising the capital that you looked for? We we didn't succeed in it. Uh, we we had a very small angel round in the beginning, but we couldn't raise any funding after that. So, do you think the idea still has legs? I think the idea still has legs for sure, uh, uh, because we 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 structured and modeled the idea in such a way that it would have legs regardless of uh, changes uh, in the industry. Uh, because we knew that, uh, you know, Google's and Facebook's APIs can change, how you manage campaigns through their platforms can change. Uh, but there's some first principles that wouldn't change. Marketers want control over what their ads look like, who they're shown to, how much money is spent on them, and how much return they expect. Uh, so that concept still has legs. Very interesting. So if you could, if you could do it again, so I mean, I think you've answered this question to a certain extent, but what would you do different? So rather than, so it sounds like you spent well money and energy chasing after money. Where would you spend that money and energy if you could do it again? Like I'm, I know, I know you've said, but could you be a bit more specific about how you how you would get to a sustainable business? I would focus a lot more on marketing and sales. I would forget about funding. I would just go for customers. Like period. I would just assume that we're going to grow when our customers pay us money, and especially given that our operating costs were so low, uh, that that can that that could have worked out. And uh, that also, ironically enough, I feel that if we had more customer traction, that may have increased our chances of fundraising too. Uh, so I think that was the blunder to think that uh, we have a working prototype and it's such a great idea and it's just so clear and 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 you know uh, we we have uh, we felt that we had sorted out more than was needed to raise funding. So we kind of postpone the marketing and sales uh, push uh, till like after we had raised some money uh, because we wanted to polish the product a bit more before we really uh, uh, went out to uh, uh, focusing a lot on sales. Uh, partly because it, it wasn't without reason. There was a reason. The reason was that we felt that given that there are, I mean, it's such a competitive industry um, and it's really hard to convince customers to give you a second chance. Uh, we wanted it to be a bit more perfect 
before we really started uh, focusing on marketing and sales. So a classic case of letting the perfect stand in the way of the good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's that's that, I mean, you know, I'm smiling, I'm laughing, but I, I do I do feel your pain. I, I, I get that. You know, there's people uh, that I work with who want everything perfect. And I, I have to sometimes just shut them down and say, no, it's good enough. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. And that can actually that can sink a lot of that, that, that can sink a lot of products is seeking perfection without putting it in front of the audience. Um, yeah, because you just run out of time or money or whatever. Um, how did you how did you apply to investors? Um, let, let's just look at that portion of it, if you don't mind. So how did you go after money? And just let's just assume that going after the money was the right thing. What would you do differently if you could start again, if you could go back, I don't know, 12, 15 months, say beginning of 2022, how would you go about finding them given your experience? So describe your experience and then tell me what you do differently. So, so as I said in the, in the, in the first stage at, at Pre-Seed, we went for, you know, basically invited our customers to be angel investors. Um, so that gave us like an early capital injection. Then after that, we applied to a couple of accelerators. Um, that was sort of like interim, I guess, funding strategy. And then once we felt more confident in our uh, first version of the product, uh, I looked up the you know the the, the most recent deals uh, in ad tech. Uh, I looked up venture capitalists who invest at the seed stage. Uh, in ad tech and martech companies and i just started you know reaching out to them uh through cold emails if i were to do it again uh i would reach out to a lot more potential investors uh i don't think i i i went into the hundreds uh and and you know i could have been more rigorous there just reach out to a lot more people Secondly, I would reach out to them uh, over phone or in person rather than email. Just go to events where they may be there and just walk up to them and have a really good elevator pitch. Um, or try to find their phone numbers and just just you know just call. Um, I relied too much on cold emails. So yeah, uh, calls and in person pitching uh, rather than cold emails and just a lot more number so did you um did you get onto any accelerator programs did you in enroll in any of those no so would you have applied to more of those do you think that's a i mean it sounds like you had your you know sounds like you had your product and everything do you think an accelerator program would have helped you i think it would have uh, um um yeah, I think it would have. Okay, well, that's good to know. So, uh, so what was your big plan? Like, you know, were you going to sell this in 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 like say twenty twenty seven or something? Was there an exit strategy? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I I wanted to sell it ultimately to a bigger ad tech or market company, uh, maybe even uh, maybe even one of the bigger ad platforms. Like Google and Facebook, uh, because I could see that uh, with you know advances in AI and machine learning, 
they would have to completely revamp their user experience. They would they would have to completely revisit how the process for managing uh, campaigns works. And uh, I was I was and still am quite confident that uh, from a user experience design perspective, we were quite spot on. So. Uh, so yeah, that was the plan. Uh, get customers to love us and uh, uh, start using us quite a lot, uh, and then at some point, uh, uh, try to try to uh, try to attract the attention of these potential acquirers. Is there any hope for this platform? Just ads? Is it is it dead? Dead? I mean, what constitutes a dead product? What constitutes a a living product? I mean, we'd have to. It's not functional anymore. Like we have the code base somewhere, but it's not live, and uh, it's been more than a year since the you know the the uh, since we turned it off. Mm. So there's been changes in the APIs. We'd probably have to, uh, we'd probably have to like rewrite a lot of the code. Uh, but at the same time, the the design, not just user interface design, but the design of the system. Uh, that we created, uh, that is still an asset that we have. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we could build another product from scratch based on the same first principles and uh, applying, of course, all, all, the, all the lessons that we learned from our mistakes. So, Shan, what are you doing now? <clears throat> and what, what's, what's next for you? That's a great question. So I just got my work authorization a couple of months ago. So I'm officially allowed to, to work States. in the US. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm allowed to work and start a company and all that. Um, I'm in the process of deciding uh, what uh, startup to build next. Um, I'm not considering uh, bringing just ads back uh, at the moment, at least. For various reasons that we can discuss if you want, but uh, right okay. now there's right now there's two startups that uh, I'm considering. Uh, one is in health tech. My wife is a doctor, and uh, we've been talking about preventive healthcare for a very long time. Uh, so we're considering creating a service uh, that's both physical and digital. There's a physical space. Uh, where you can get all sorts of uh, holistic health testing done in the same place uh, with a lot of emphasis on physical user experience because, you know, uh, to get your blood drawn is something very few people really enjoy doing. And given how important this sort of testing is for your longer-term health, uh, it's a bit strange that... Uh, that experience isn't made more enticing, right? Have some nice classical music playing in the background, have a lot of natural sunlight, have plants and flowers, you know, uh, serve a small plant-based meal at the end of the experience, really turn uh, healthcare measurement into an experience. Uh, because once you have that data, uh, then you can design a digital personal dashboard for your health. So there's a place where you get all this testing done and it's a lovely experience. And then there's an app where you see your personal dashboard. You see exactly where your health is right now and you see uh, your future. So you can forecast your health. You can say, what would this dashboard look like when I am 60? Uh, and it visualizes that for you. It shows you what your body composition would look like if you're you know, not exercising. 
or if you're exercising just once a week as opposed to five days a week. So, yeah. uh, so, so a platform that does that. So that's one, uh, that's one idea. What was the other yeah. idea? Uh, the other idea is to make it possible for anyone to train their own personalized intelligence. Um, so basically that's also, um, every person has a different set of objectives and goals in life, right? They're doing a different thing. Uh, and in order to achieve those objectives and goals, there's different sets of knowledge that are relevant to it. Uh, there's different data streams that are relevant to it, different types of data. Uh, so this startup would build an application uh, that allows you to train your personal intelligence uh, in as seamless a way as you train a brilliant fresh graduate from a Ivy League university. Okay. I, I didn't quite understand how that how that works. So yeah, so let me give you an example, right? Um, imagine uh, there would be there would be a, a just a mobile and web version of this application too, uh, but it's easier to understand if I explain the augmented reality version of it, right? So say there's an augmented reality app that uh, gives you a virtual study, you know, uh, these old study rooms where you would have like a small library in your desk and where you really work, right? Uh, like your personal mission control. Uh, you define your goals and objectives there. Uh, you can select what books are relevant to the work that you're doing. Uh, you can, so you can, you know, let's say connect your Kindle account and you can select what books you want to uh, include in your study and you actually see them in your virtual bookshelf. Uh, you can plug in your new subscription. So if you're subscribed to Harvard Business Review, McKinsey Quarterly, Financial Times, you plug in your new subscriptions. Uh, say if you're a marketer, you know, you have your APIs that bring in quantitative data. Uh, you plug that in. And on top of this, uh, the process of fine tuning that's required to personalize uh, language models for your own purpose, uh, this application would gamify the experience of that fine tuning. Because currently it's a very technical process. You create a data set and it's just basically largely for machine learning researchers and engineers to do it. Uh, an average person uh, cannot do fine tuning right now. So we want to gamify that rather than it being about you giving a data set to fine tune language models with, uh, we would create uh, mini games that you play then uh, that would involve questions and, uh, and you know, maybe the, uh, you know, may maybe even the, uh, you're shown some videos and, and, and the language model asks you what you think about it and asks you clarifying questions. Uh, so that's what I meant when I said it's a bit like if you're, you know, if you hire a really brilliant genius level IQ graduate from like Harvard, Yale, Stanford, MIT, uh, they have like great baseline knowledge and intelligence, but then you have to tell them what their role is, what they're going to do. You have to tell them, hey, 
here's all the information about our company that you need to know. Uh, here's all the information about the projects that are going to be relevant to you. Here's the, you know, the sources of professional knowledge. Uh, you know, these books you need to study or, or you know, these journals uh, that you, you know, scour over. And uh, here's the types of tasks that you would do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Uh, and then there's some process of feedback, right? You're like, all right, now go and, and you know, uh, do this worksheet on, uh, on, on analyzing marketing campaigns to find what campaigns uh, should be paused, right? Uh, so the graduate then does that and brings it back to you and you give, it some, give, give that person some feedback, right? But this whole process of uh, training a intelligent person to fill a role in your team, uh, we want to create an application that models the process of training language models uh, using the same logic uh, and gamifying it to make it make it as simple as actually working with another human being, where you talk and you give them this file, and and you know, uh, um, uh, you. Uh, you make that you, you translate that technical process into a non-technical user experience. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I wish you luck with that. No, no thoughts about getting a job. I mean, uh, I understand that you know either of these, especially the healthcare startup. If I decide to go with that, that's going to yeah. take a long time to, uh, uh, you know, to actually get going. So right now I am looking for jobs. You know, I'd love to work uh, for the next year, perhaps even two years. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've only ever had like, one job in my life. Uh, and then I've, you know, worked on startups for five years. So I, I, I would actually really like to work at a, uh, you know, uh, at a startup or a bigger company for a couple of years just to diversify uh, my experience and to learn more uh, from a different setting. Uh, and then you eventually have, do another startup. It's always good to have additional perspectives. Which, exactly. Which something like that would give you. Exactly. So, so Shan, uh, thank you so much for being on the Founders Predicament podcast. And uh, I wish you all the best with your future endeavors. And thank you also for sharing the, um, you know, the 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 um, the story of Just Ads, and um, you know, I'm sure it was very sad when the day that you unplugged it. Yeah, it's uh, uh it, it was it was certainly difficult uh, for sure. But thank you so much for inviting me uh, to have this conversation with you. It was a pleasure. Most welcome. Okay, take care. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.